Um, so I'm just going to be like just really honest right up front. And I don't really normally do this, but I feel like I just want to give you a window into like my heart and what Jesus has been doing. Like I don't, I really don't know how to explain this, but I just feel like um, like the Lord has just like lit me on fire for him on the inside in the past couple of months. And um, I, don't, I don't say that to like be like super spiritual up here, but like just to say like, like I feel like I'm experiencing like a deepness with the Lord and just seeing him in the everyday moments of life. And I just like it's just radically interrupting my life. And when I talk about like a deep passion for the Lord, I know like sometimes when we think, when I ask you like, who do you know who's like really passionate about Jesus? We typically think of like an extroverted personality that verbalizes an emotion, like not in a bad way, but emotionalizes their faith, you know, and it's like a very vibrant picture. And that's good and beautiful. I have those moments. And there's times where my passion for the Lord is just more like subtle and nobody knows what's going on except me and the Lord. But I just feel like there has just been growing something like absolutely deep in me. Like I feel like I find myself, um, like I feel like God has been saying to me, Corey, you know you don't have to settle. You don't have to like settle for like a really average pursuit of me. And it's, I'm like, okay, so I've just been like praying. Literally like if I took you into my times with the Lord, I feel like my prayers have been like, Lord, like whatever it is, however it is, whomever, how, like, whatever it is, like, I just want to be used by you. And then, uh, it's funny, because the Lord will be like, okay, like, let's start then, you know? And so, I remember I was, I was, uh, this week, I was on a walk with my daughter, actually, no, it was last week, I was on a walk with my daughter, and we were, uh, we were walking around our neighborhood, and I've just been noticing, you'll see when you start to open yourself up to the Holy Spirit and Jesus in everyday life, you start realizing he starts giving you promptings in moments that are like, we're not doing that today. And so that happens all the time for me now. I, it's like, okay, like, Lord, I didn't know we're going here. And I was on this walk, and uh, I was literally like, I saw this guy, and God's like, I want you to talk to that guy. And I was like, nope, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And God's like, I'm like, I'm not cold calling. Like, we're not doing that. Like, I, I'm like a build a relationship type of guy, but then we'll talk about Jesus. And God's like, no, I want you to talk about Jesus with this guy. And so I did what many of us do. I just kept walking and ignored his voice. <laughs> and so I literally like go on like a mile and a half walk, like away from this person. I do this huge loop and I round the corner and this guy is walking directly at me. And it's like this guy. And I was like, oh my gosh, Lord. And the guy's like, all right, I want you to go talk to this guy about Jesus. And so I literally walked up to him and I was like, dude, I don't know how else to say this. I feel like God wants me to tell you that like Jesus loves you and like I'm just supposed to share Jesus with you right now. And he's like, okay. And I was like, and so, we, so once the awkwardness broke, like we just, we entered into this conversation. I was like, how long have you been in this neighborhood? And he's like, I'm actually visiting from California. Like I'm never really here. And I was like, I was like, are you, are you a man of, I don't like, do you, are you of faith or anything like that in your life? And he's like, yeah, yeah, no, I believe in, you know, there's like higher power. And I was like, okay, I know exactly what, where, like, what's going on here. And I was like, dude, I don't know if, like, you're seeking God or anything right now, but I just want to tell you, like, Jesus, I think he's pursuing you. And you should, like, open your heart to him. Like, that's all I got for you. And then he's like, that's cool. And he's like, anyways, you know, like, that whole thing. And so I walked away, and I was like, Lord, what was that about? Like, like, like he's supposed to come to the Lord, like, if you're going to do that. Like, he has to come to the Lord. And God's just like, I want to see if you'll seek me in every day, mundane moments of life. And you said you wanted to be used by me. And he's like, are you open to, to that? I, I, so there's things like that. I'm noticing, like, I'll be in, like, a room, 
And God's like, you gotta come pray to me right now. Like, leave, like, leave work and come be with me. I'm like, why? He's like, because I want you to. And so there, there's, this, there's these things happening to me. And, and this all honestly started, like, this kind of, like, passion that's been growing. And it hasn't been perfect, and there's been ups and downs throughout my day. But this all started from, like, actually uh, the life of King Asa. I heard a sermon on the life of King Asa. And it was like three months ago, I was like holding my daughter and I was listening to the sermon and I'm just like, oh my gosh, like my passion for the Lord and like she's, my daughter's sleeping and I'm like, you know, I was like, I like, feel like God was just like lighting me on fire. And it started with um, this verse out of the story that we'll read. And this verse just caught my attention. We'll get to it later in the series, but I want to reference it tonight. But just, you may have heard this verse before, but you haven't known where it comes from. But this was, this was the verse that just like lit me up. It says, now think about this. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth. Like God's eyes are ranging throughout the whole earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And I just kind of paused on that. And, and the, the pastor who is, who is uh, speaking was saying, oftentimes we often like ask each other, like, what are you seeking? Or we're asking, like, what am I seeking? But we rarely ask, what is God seeking? Like, flip the question around. Like, what is God actually looking for? And I don't know about you, but I, ha- I don't think about that often enough. And I had this picture of, like, like when I was putting together this, uh, this talk tonight, and I just kind of, I feel like the Lord gave me this picture. Like, my eyes are, like, ranging throughout the earth, and not just the earth, but, like, I feel like God's eyes are ranging throughout this room tonight. And he's just going, is there anybody who's wholehearted for me? This isn't like insecure boyfriend or girlfriend that's like, will you please like me? Like, is there anybody in this room that will find, you know, it's like, it's not that. This is like, this is like the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who is on a massive mission to reconcile and restore all things. And he's like, is there anybody who wants to be a part of it? It's like, you, 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 you. And he's like, because what I'm going to call you to is going to require your whole self. I was, I don't, I want to say this too. Um, I really believe, um, and I, some of you are going to hear this and immediately go shame mode and like you'll never measure up. I don't mean it this way. I really do think Jesus would rather have you at a zero than at a five for him in passion. Um, I think because at a, at a five, you can kind of just coast and like you just, this, this is what it looks like. I go to church, I go to 710 sometimes, I, you know, I pick up my Bible, I try to be a better Christian. It's just kind of like this mode that you live in. I think Satan loves that mode. He's like, man, if I could just keep people at a five, that would be amazing. I think when he sees you at a zero, that's when we start to wake up to reality. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm not the person that I want to be. And then I think there's the 10, and that's the person that is this. That's like, I am imperfectly all in on what God is doing. And God's like, I want to strengthen you and use you in my kingdom. And so all that to say, I, I, my prayer for you tonight is that... Uh, is honestly that you would just have a fresh encounter with God and that uh, you, we would move beyond a, like, a get-through-life Christianity. And you know what I mean by that? And I'm not trying to minimize pain. I'm not trying to minimize um, struggles that we're all going through. But I think sometimes in the Christian life, and I hear it all the time, just like, yeah, just, you know, just another week, just trying to get through this week, just really trying. You know, it's just kind of like a get-through-life mentality. And I think through this series, what God is trying to do is, I think God is calling you and me to a radical reorientation of God to the center of our lives. 
Not where it's like my life and I'm like asking God to like, like rotate around it and like bless it and like there's like my concerns and like God's all about that and like I think God cares about us and loves us but this like I think God wants us to make this pivot where it's like here's me and like here's you and you are orbiting around my world, my life and my kingdom and I'm gonna care for you and love you and show you the depths of my love that you wouldn't even understand but like I'm the, I'm, I want to be the radical center of your life. And here's what, I, here's what I want you to hear when I've been thinking about this. As God has been doing this with me, it is way more fun. It is way more exciting and it is way more life-giving. When you go, God, what are you doing today and how are you going to use me? It is life-giving. So that's kind of big picture. Like I, I want to say that this is what I want God to do us. I want us to have a fresh like revelation of his spirit and that he would make us seekers of God. Does that sound good? Wow, okay, okay, we can do it. All right, so if you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Chronicles 14. We're going to 2 Chronicles. When's the last time you read 2 Chronicles? So if you're new to uh, the Christian faith or if you're new to the Bible, uh, Chronicles is in the Old Testament, so kind of the first half of your Bible. And um, the Chronicles, uh, the 2 Chronicles, it's, it's kind of like this, uh, it's this book with a bunch of kings of God's people. And in this section of scripture, there's like, these kings that uh, lead God's people faithfully and there's kings that lead God's people unfaithfully. And the whole point of this section of the book of Chronicles, it, they're supposed to be like character studies for the people of God to read these kings' lives and go like, all right, how does this king teach me to follow God faithfully? What mistakes and how do they rebel against God and how can that teach me in my, in my own faithfulness? So like, we're gonna look at King Asa's life and, uh, and we're going to do like kind of an, a character evaluation and learn from him of what he was doing uh, and how he led God's people. And so uh, just kind of a little bit of background. King Asa, uh, he was a king of Judah. So the nation of Israel, God's people, was split at this time to the northern kingdom and southern kingdom. And King Asa was king of the southern kingdom. Uh, he was a religious reformer. So he wasn't like just like this king that took the throne. We'll see this. But he was like this radical religious reformer. He led uh, the people of God in this time in a revival movement. I don't know if any of you have been part of a revival movement, but as king and as God was empowering him, like he led a complete revival within the southern kingdom of Judah. And uh, he was actually an ancestor of Jesus, which is really cool. So he's Jesus's like great, 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 a lot of times grandpa. So this is Jesus's grandpa. It's gonna be cool. Um, So yeah, that's a little background on King Asa. And uh, we're actually just going to start off and pick up his life in Second Chronicles 14, uh, verse 1, and then we'll go through verse 6. It says, And Abijah rested with his ancestors, so this was the previous king, and he was buried in the city of David, and his Asa, his son, succeeded him as king, and in his days the country was at peace for 10 years. And so the first 10 years of Asa's reign was at peace. He actually reigned over uh, the southern kingdom for 39 years. But the first 10 years were at peace, and and here's why. Verse two, Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. I just wanna pause and say like, right off the bat, the the author is going like, if you wanna know like what is good and right in the eyes of the Lord God, pay attention to what follows. Um, Sorry, lost, okay, there we go, verse three. He removed the foreign altars and the high places. He smashed the sacred stones and he cut down the Asherah poles. And he commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his laws and commands. He removed the high places and the incense altars in every town in Judah 
and the kingdom was at peace under him. He built up fortified cities of Judah since the land was at peace. No one was at war with him during those years, for the Lord gave him rest. And so what, right off the bat, we see Asa, here's a little background. So he actually inherited, Asa was the, the king of the southern kingdom of Judah, and he actually inherited a nation, and he in, inherited a people that had massive spiritual compromise. And so Asa in his life, he, he was kind of like raised in this environment, like there's foreign gods everywhere. Uh, Israel was called to be like this unique people with one God and to worship him alone. And they had like confessions about this, but they allowed like idols in the land. And like, so the land was filled with idols and they just kind of mixed Yahweh, the one true God, with their other gods. And they just kind of lived life mixing these gods together. Does that, does that sound familiar? So there's this mixture of worship of God and worship of these other things. And, uh, and, and Asa had to come to a point in his life, like many of you and like I have in my life, where he had to go, the compromise of the past has to stop with me. He goes, there's been massive compromise in the past, and it has to stop with me, and it has to stop right now. And the first thing that I think that Asa teaches us is that wholeheartedness begins with a resolve to seek God. Asa is known as like this wholehearted like pursuer of the Lord and this phrase seek God is gonna appear over and over within these next couple chapters. Literally nine times in these chapters it was like Asa sought the Lord, he didn't seek the Lord. It's this language of seeking God and what's interesting is he seeks God through what I would call purging and pursuing. He has like this massive like kind of rhythm to his life and I think it's the rhythm of the Christian life where seeking God isn't just like this like, Lord, I'm just gonna like run after you. It absolutely is that but actually like seeking the Lord has a movement to it and it's this constant of like purging what's not of God in your life and pursuing God. It's purging what's not of God from your life and pursuing true God but I think oftentimes if you're like me, we can do one of those things really well where we start to pursue God in our lives but we don't purge what's not of him so we wonder why we're struggling in our pursuit of him. Or on the other hand, we get so like radical to like uproot sin from our lives that we start like focusing all our attention on purging what's not of him, but in the purging, we actually forget to pursue him. Does that make sense? And what we see, did you notice? Like, so he starts his, his revival and reformation and this repentance movement by like absolutely going ham in the land. Like, he just goes absolute crazy. Like, in my mind, I picture, like, Donkey Kong with his hammer. Like, when he just go, like, he's just going through the land, and he is literally, like, ridding the land, ridding the kingdom of anything that is not of God. Notice, it says he removed the high places. So he's removing high places everywhere, foreign altars. So, like, these altars that were for sacrifices to other God, he's removing those. He smashed the sacred stones. Like, he's just smashing things. He's like, I'm not just going to remove it. I'm going to, like, absolutely decimate it. And then he cut down Asherah poles. And he, like, so he's smashing. He's removing. He's cutting. There's, like, this purge in his life. And there's this, this pursuit. He's like, Israel, like, we're going we're gonna to purge these things. And then we're going to seek God. And I think if, if you would have gotten inside Asa's mind and you ask him, like, why does your seeking God take on this form of purging and pursuing? I think he would have said something like this, is that sin kills passion for God and it deadens your appetite for him. Think about this. When you've tried to pursue God but you've kept things that are more foundational to your life around or your pet sins or all these things, when you keep those things to you, around you, does it not like create a spiritual lethargicness? Like how many of you after like messing up whatever it might be, looking at that thing, doing that thing, you're like, you know what I really feel like doing? I feel like having a worship service and seeking God. 
We don't, nobody says that. It's because sin kills passion, and Asa knows this, so he goes throughout the city, and he just does a massive, massive purge. And uh, it reminded me of my freshman year of college. I remember, like, I was telling, actually, a, another pastor today in the valley that I met up with. I was, he's like, how'd you get into ministry and all this stuff? And I was like, dude, my freshman year of college, God, like, lit a flame in my heart for him. Like, I always had, like, a love for the Lord, but, like, it took, like, new spades my freshman year of college. And what I realized is part of that season, the reason why my passion and pursuit got so strong is because there's this radical purge that I had in my life. I was hanging on to sin, like, all throughout high school, and I was just kind of, like, compromise after compromise, and they were like small ones, they were big ones, but there was just a ton of compromise in my life, and it was deadening my spiritual senses. Any of you have been through something like that? And so I remember when I came to college, it was actually Connor McKenzie, I might have shared this before, but like we had a lunch, and he's like, dude, I, like my life is a mess, I need to follow Jesus. And I was like, dude, well, me too, let's, let, let's do this. And I remember from that point on, I went through, guys, I, it, I went insane. Like I literally like, Internet was off my phone. I'm like, I'm done with that. I'm, I'm taking Instagram I'm off my phone because Instagram leads me to do that thing on the internet. That's off my phone. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, it's like 10.30 at night and I get a phone call. Connor's like, dude, I'm having temptation. I'm like, dude, I'll be right there. Like I'm running across GCU campus and then like get in his room. We're like declaring in the name of Jesus freedom from temptation. And we're like, we're like casting out Satan. And I'm like going back to bed. We're getting up and like we're devouring the word of God. And like I'm orienting my whole schedule around like love for like the poor. And like every single Saturday we're gonna go like feed the homeless. And I had this like, literally I cannot even explain it. And if you haven't been through a season of life or or I would say that's not your norm. I would say you're missing out. But one of the things that I took away from that season, and then one of the things that what, what God taught me, is that the movement of the Christian life is purging that leads to a pursuit. Purging and pursuing. And this is what I also realized. Seeking God isn't about conjuring up devotion. It's about transferring devotion. Seeking God isn't about conjuring up devotion, it's about transferring devotion. I think sometimes in our Christian life, when we talk about like seeking God, if I'm like, hey guys, I really want you to seek God this week, it's like, all right, I gotta like conjure up like an appetite, I gotta conjure up a passion. But when you actually start to get at like, God created you a worshiper. And he created you in a way that you will always fully worship and wholeheartedly give yourself to something. There is a center to your life I promise you, it doesn't matter who you are, every human has this. There's a center to your life, and it can either be God or not God, that you will bend everything in your life around because it's your greatest love. Devotion. And this might be like a silly illustration, but I think some of us, sometimes we think about like devotion and passion and like this kind of flow of the spirit in our lives of like this like, um, like if you had a hose, like turning it on, like seeking God is like turning on the hose and like passion is coming, like this devotion. And then I read this uh, thing that just changed my life probably four years ago. And it was super simple, but it just changed my mindset where it said, worship isn't like turning off and turning on a hose. Worship is the idea that you're, the hose is already on and it's gushing no matter what. It's just what you're pointing it at. Does that make sense? And so one of the things that God revealed to me in this season, he's like, listen, seeking God, it's not about transferring devotion or it's not about conjuring up devotion, it's about transferring devotion. And that, that operating center of your life, it might be an imagined future. We're young adults, so we have an imagined future, and we're like devoting our whole selves to this dream. It might be a relationship, it might be a career, 
It might be an image that you're trying to project to the world or protect to keep, but there's always a center to our lives that we are worshiping. And so what Asa is saying is, listen, there's gotta be a purge of all that is not of God and a pursuit of him, and you have to have both. I think one of the things that you, if you would have asked Asa, what else, like tell me more about like what, like you wanted to lead the people of God into faithfulness, obedience, and revival. He's like, why did you like do this whole purging thing, rid the land of idols? I think he would have said this too, is that repentance and reformation always precedes renewal and revival. This is really important. If you want renewal and revival, this like lit flame, this passion for God, repentance and reformation always precedes that. John Tyson, he's a pastor, he says this. He says, when the spirit of God gets a hold of your life, he will go room by room through your heart calling for repentance and reformation. How many of you know that is true from experience? Like you just had this time... There we go. I see you over there. Um, but God, gets a, he gets a hold of your life, and then what immediately follows? There's like this radical, you, you literally feel like the spirit of God. He's going through your life, and he's, he's reorganizing things, and he goes, that's not of me. He's like, let's get that out of here. He's like, like, we don't want any part of that. He's like, I need to put this inside of you. But he goes like room by room through your heart, and he goes, I want repentance, I want turning, and I want reformation. Why? So that I can light a fire in you and a passion, and a devotion, and I want to move the hose of worship on me. And that's what the Spirit of God does. And so Asa, he, he seeks God through purging and pursuing. Look at verse 5. And we see that Asa's seeking of the Lord leads to a time of peace. So it says, He removed the high places and incense altars in every town in Judah. So he's removing these things, and the kingdom was at peace under him. He built up the fortified cities, of Judah, since the land was at peace, no one was at war with him during those years, for the Lord gave him rest. And then in verse 7 it says, Let us build up these towns, he said to Judah, and put walls around them with towers, gates, and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. There it is, seeking the Lord our God. We sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but just to make an observation is that we see that God blesses Asa's repentance with peace. God blesses Asa's repentance with peace. And I would just say, if you want the peace of God in the innermost depths of your soul, and I would just argue you're all pursuing that at some level. Everything, every decision we make is for some sort of peace. And I would say if you want the peace of God, like supernatural peace inside of you, in the depths of your soul, it's found in seeking God and obeying him. Now Asa was a king under a different covenant and that meant external peace and that was a totally different thing. But I think what the New Testament and what Jesus offers us is like in the external crazy, if you want peace of me in your soul and an internal peace, it's found in seeking me. So Asa, he seeks the Lord through purging and pursuing and God grants him peace. I would love that, that it said that God gave him peace. It's like you can't find peace anywhere else unless God's the one that's given it to you. But I love this. Asa's, uh, his seeking of the Lord in peace, it leads to a time of pressure. Look at verse eight. It said, Asa had an army of 300,000 men from Judah, equipped with large shields and with spears, and 280,000 from Benjamin, armed with small shields 
and with bows. All these were very brave fighting men. So you're supposed to see this and go like, all right, he's got 500,000 like soldiers. Like 300 of them, I love how it's like 300,000 of them have big shields, the other ones have small shields. But it's like regardless, he's got like half a million like brave fighting men. He has this massive army. And then in verse nine, all of a sudden we see the first moment of pressure and Asa's time is king. It says, Zerah the Cushite marched out against them with an army of thousands upon thousands. Sometimes that's translated a million. So Asa comes up against this army. He's got 500,000 soldiers and he looks and there's an army of a million soldiers. Just get inside the story. What would you do at this point? He's He's seeking God. He's purging. He's pursuing. He's got peace. What would you do? So again, verse 9, Zerah the Cushite marched out against them with an army of thousands upon thousands and 300 chariots and came as far as Marisha. And Asa went out to meet him and they took up battle positions in the valley of Zepha near Marisha. Now that could just seem like, all right, there's this battle moment, uh, that's great, but I think there's something really uh, key here is typically, and tell me if this is not true from your own experience, you're seeking the Lord uh, and you know when you actually start seeking the Lord, there is a peace that starts to set in in your life. I'm not saying it's external, but there's a peace that starts to happen, but the, then shortly after that, is it there not a, a moment of pressure? The enemy comes, it's like you've been seeking the Lord, it's beautiful, you're experiencing his peace, it's time to disrupt that. So Asa experiences that with an army, and it may not be an army coming against you, but you know this, you're seeking the Lord, you've had this peace, and then all of a sudden, there's pressure. And here's what I'll say. Oftentimes, after seasons of seeking the Lord, the enemy always comes. You're seeking him wholeheartedly, like you're pursuing him, you're being faithful, and there becomes a moment of pressure that's meant to create a panic in you so that you'll compromise. The enemy will always bring a moment of pressure to make you panic so that you'll compromise in your seeking God. What would Asa want to do? Think about this. He grew up with false gods in the land. For us, we go, of course, there's just one true God. It's not that big of a deal. But for Asa, those gods represented rescue and saving. So I picture Asa in that moment going, I kind of want to turn back to my old, right? Does that not sound like you? You're seeking the Lord, and then all of a sudden, this pressure moment comes. There's compromise. It may be relational pressure. It may be social pressure, financial pressure. I don't know what it is. It could be anything. And the enemy wants you to compromise. And here's what I want to say about that. Pressure moments are the test that will determine the future trajectory of your faith. This is why it's so important. This is the key moment in Asa's life where it's like, okay, it's on. The enemy wants me to compromise. I've I've led this radical reformation renewal movement and the enemy comes in and goes, hey, remember those other gods that could rescue you? And then Asa's faced with a decision and goes, where is the trajectory of my faith going? And maybe you're in that place tonight where you've been in a season of peace and there's a compromise right in front of you right now in your season. I don't know, but I know human nature enough to know that there's temptation there. And how you respond to this will determine the future trajectory of your faith. So I just want to say that. And so let's see how Asa responds. Look at verse 11. So then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name 
we have come against this vast army. Lord, you are our God. I love these verses. I feel like I could just meditate on them. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. And so I read this and I'm like, man, this is the moment Asa would compromise. This is where the pressure happens. And rather than panicking under pressure, Asa is praying under pressure. Rather than panicking under pressure, Asa is praying under pressure. Asa actually doubles down on his seeking of the Lord when pressure comes. And I think there's just another lesson here to be said is that you don't know what your heart truly values until what you love is threatened. So this pressure comes and you don't really actually know what your heart truly values until what you love is threatened. And then in that moment actually comes out what is the real you. And I was thinking about this even more and, I, and it kind of reminded me of this reality that stress, when God allows these like, stressful moments to come, the, the pressure to come, stress doesn't create things in you, it reveals things in you. Is that not true? Oftentimes when things come, we're like, it's because of these circumstances that this is coming out of me. I've done that in hard seasons of marriage. I've done that in stressful seasons of work. Lord, my prayerlessness is because it's so stressful out there. But what God, I think, has sh- is showing us in these moments of pressure, and maybe what he's showing in you is that whatever is in you, um, it's not created, it's revealed. And what I love about this story and why I actually admired and like, Lord, like, teach me to be like Asa in this, is like, in his compromise moment, what's revealed is a prayerful dependence upon the Father. And he goes, I was experiencing peace, Yes, that led to pressure, but pressure, it didn't lead me to panic. It led me to prayerful dependence. And I really do think God allows stressful situations, and I think God allows pressure upon your life to ask you, is your heart fully mine? I think it's him going like, okay, I'm gonna allow this to happen. Are you mine? And maybe you don't even know the answer to that question. And God's, he already knows the answer, but he wants you to see your own answer. We're like, oh, you know what? Hit the fan. And God's like, are you mine? Are you going to compromise? I know there's panic starting. Is there going to be a prayerful dependence? Are you going to seek me? Are you going to have a trust in me like Asa where he goes, Lord, no one like you can save. Lord, you were the one that gave the peace in the first place. You are the one who is the king over my kingdom as I actually lead these people. And God goes, hey, is your heart fully mine? And I love when you poke Asa, what's revealed in him is a prayerful dependence. And man, I want that. But look, I love this. Look what happens next. Verses 12 through 15, it says this. So his prayerful dependence leads to God's powers. It says, the Lord struck down the Cushites before Asa and Judah the Cushites fled, and Asa and his army pursued them as far as Gerar. Such a great number of Cushites fell that they could not recover. They were crushed before the Lord and his forces. The men of Judah carried off a large amount of plunder. They destroyed all the villages around Gerar, for the terror of the Lord had fallen on them. They looted all these villages, since there was much plunder there. They also attacked the camps of the herders and carried off droves of sheep and goats and camels and then they returned to Jerusalem. And I feel like if you were reading this in the quiet time, like that's the portion of scripture that you would skip over and it's like, oh, God's just summarizing like what actually happened in the army. But I think there's actually something really beautiful here. Asa just confessed his powerlessness to face the pressure that was coming upon him and what God is showing him and I think why it's so detailed about God actually acting on behalf of Asa is saying that God is the powerful one acting on behalf of the powerless. And I think it's what it's trying to show us is that 
prayer triggers God's power. Prayer triggers God's power. Now you may listen and say, well, no duh, it does. But I really want you to think about this. God, did you notice God did not act into the story until Asa started to pray? Like God was just there. He was watching and he was seeing what was happening. Things were being revealed. But what we see in this passage is that, that God is acting on, beh- on behalf of Asa and prayer is what triggers God's power. And I just might offer something to you and I don't mean this like in a sense to be like demeaning but I've asked this in my life. If oftentimes we don't see God's power at work in our lives because we're not actually praying for his power to show up. And I'm not talking about like I think some of you, and I just want to acknowledge this in the room, that you've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for something in your life or whatever. And I know like sometimes there's a mystery to God's timing. There's a mystery to even how God answers. I believe God answers all prayers, just not in his way. But if I think if we're going to be honest in our heart of hearts, and I'm not even just talking about circumstantial things, but we're praying for God's spirit to be at work in us, like Christ to be formed in us, that God's power is activated through our prayer. And I really think there's a faith that leans into that. I was actually reading this morning, I was in a coffee shop trying to get some time with Jesus uh, before the day started. And I read this phrase, and uh, I I might stumble over it because I didn't put it in my notes, but uh, Jesus said something like, um, he goes, if, if, uh, hold on. He said, uh, he like curses like this fig tree, and the disciples are like, how did that happen? And Jesus says, uh, if you have faith and do not doubt, you can even say to this mountain, be uprooted and go into the sea and you will receive what you have asked for in prayer. And I've just been actually like sitting with those words. And I think I, we always have like ca- theological caveat, caveats for like those passages. And I just sat there and got, I'm like, so Jesus, you're saying like, if I, I, like if, you, if I have faith and do not doubt, I can receive for what I ask for in prayer. And he's like, yes. Like, are you sure? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. But you may have to wait and it may not be the answer that you want, but you will receive what you ask for in prayer if you do not doubt. And I think there's a, a beautiful invitation there, but there's also a gentle rebuke to the doubt and Jesus saying, come, have faith. You have no idea what I'm capable of if you're a man or woman of prayer. Isn't that true? So I love, uh, I love, I love that prayer triggers God's power. And so what we see in the first chapter of Asa's life, he seeks God it's this purging and pursuing movement. It leads to peace. It leads to pressure. It leads to prayer, which leads to God's power. And I really do believe that the Lord is seeking to revive a spirit of prayer and dependence in seeking him in a wholehearted way. And so I just want to end tonight, and uh, I just want to kind of share a, a cup, three like really practical things about seeking God. Because I know like sometimes when I hear sermons about like seeking God, pursuing him, experiencing his peace, praying, just like really seeking after the Lord, there can be a lot of discouragement that kind of fills up. Or you're like, I really want to seek God. I just honestly have no idea how. And so I think there's like, there's no particular order, but like here's just some things that I feel like I've learned in the past two months that I want to share with you. Uh, The first thing I would say about seeking God, if you're somebody that wants to seek God, you have to be aware of what gospel you're actually embracing. And I'm gonna explain this in a second, but I think we need to be a a people that embrace the gospel of the kingdom over the gospel of sin management. And here's what I mean by that. I think sometimes, I I, I love it. I see this all the time in RC, and and it always drives me crazy because 
I was like, God, like, we're missing something. But I remember when I would lead a small group for years, I would always ask people, I'm like, how's your relationship with the Lord? Or like, how are you seeking the Lord right now? And immediately the answer was either like how much they're sinning or how much they read the Bible. You know what I'm talking about? It's like the whole of the Christian life was like, it's like this sly, and I think the enemy does it, but like your, like, your definition of like seeking God, of like chasing after him is just like, I just need to stop sinning and try to read the Bible four times this week. And it's like this like way to, I think it's like this way to like control a relationship with God. And I think it's like this subtle like sin management where it's just like, I just gotta manage myself being a good Christian, which means like my biggest goal this week is just to not look at porn. And then if I don't look at porn, or then I'll like try to read my Bible three times, or whatever it might be, but it's like the greatest thing in the Christian life is just to not sin and try to be a better Bible reader. And then typically how it comes out is just like, I know, I gotta be better, I just, I just gotta read my Bible, you know? And I, and I, I get it, because I've operated there, and I think like our hearts can naturally drift to that place, but I think Jesus looks at that and it's like, that is so boring. Like that is, like I, I'm yawning, listening to myself talk about it. And I don't mean that in a demeaning way, but I'm like, if, if all that the creator, living God, who like has made every, like we just said, Jesus made all things. He made you and he created them for him. And he's launching like this massive kingdom movement. He's sending his spirit. God raised his son from the dead. And he's like, you want to be a part of it? Do you want to join my multi-ethnic family? Do you want to become a part of the new humanity that's going to inherit the new creation? And we're going to live eternally with each other. And it's just like, I just got to not sin this week and read my Bible. And I always want to say this, and I think this is an invitation. If you're bored with your faith, God is too. And I would say, it's, it's not him just saying like, be better at your faith. I think it's saying like, I have way more to offer than that. That's the gospel of sin management. And God goes, I'm launching a worldwide kingdom, reconciling the nations to myself. I have given you the spirit of the living God. That's a feast. That's a feast of enjoyment. That's fun. That's hard. That's suffering. That's good. It's all that. It's a feast, though. But we can settle for finger food. And, um, and so I just want to say, um, I just want you to evaluate what gospel have you embraced with your heart? Are you trying to manage like just an image of being a Christian or are you embracing the gospel of the kingdom and the king? So that's the first thing that I would say. The second thing that I would say is that um, we need to orient each day toward God. And this is really simple, but um, I think oftentimes when we think about moments where we like have sought the Lord and there's just something like massive that had happened, we immediately go to like a retreat that we're about to have. Like we go to all these mountaintop moments. Like that was a mountaintop year in my life. That was a mountaintop retreat. That was a mountaintop profound quiet time with the Lord. But we always go to like these extremes where we like our emotions are like high and we're experiencing Jesus. And I think the challenge for most of us is moving from mountaintop moments of seeking the Lord to seeking the Lord in the mundane moments of life. And uh, I really do think, uh, I was actually, Mark Anderson. Everybody wave at Mark Anderson with his baby. I didn't even know he'd be there. Yeah, so his wife, Kari, standing, she doesn't know I'm going to say this, but this was, this was so good. So sorry if I'm going to butcher it. But he, we were talking before uh, this, and he's like, my wife said something, and I was like, that was from the Holy Spirit. And I was like, well, what is it? I'm going to use it tonight. And he's like, uh, he says, we're always looking for profound moments with the Lord when just being with the Lord is profound. 
Isn't that good? We're always chasing a profound moment with the Lord. When just being in his presence, enjoying God as God for nothing else but enjoying him, like that is a profound thing. And in that, he's transforming you into the image of his creator. And it's happening at 8 a.m. when you're half awake with a cup of coffee. You know what I'm saying? And so I think there's this orient, orientation. And I would say it has to start with you have to wake up and orient your morning towards God. If you don't or, orient yourself towards God in the morning, you'll just naturally be oriented toward the world. And so I would say this is a rule, like, and I'm going to say like an actual rule that you should put in place, and it's hard for me to even do, but like a, a scripture before screen every single day. And if your scripture's on your screen, find one that's not, but scripture before screen every day. And, I, and here's a little practice. This is just a hint. I would challenge you to do it this week. It has radically transformed my life, and like it's been a ton of fun. I feel like I've been waking up every day and within the first 30 minutes of my day, like sometimes I wake up crabby, sometimes I'm just like, what is even today? And I, but I've like, you know, I shower, I get my coffee and I'm like, okay, I'm good to go. And I'll just pause and I said this last week, but I'll just go like, Lord, like, what do you have for me today? Like, Lord, what do you want to say to me today? How do you want to use me today? What do you have for me today? And then literally what I do is I, in, my, in my notepad, I write down everything that I have that day. I'm like, sermon prep in the morning, meeting with Jade at lunch for team stuff, family time in the evening. And I write it all down. And throughout the whole day, I'm just trying to seek God in each one of those moments. And I'm just asking the question, like, Lord, what do you have for me in this moment? And literally at the end of the day, I go back and all those things, and I write down what God was trying to tell me in that time or how he was trying to use me. It's this amazing, like, almost game where I'm trying to like say, I spy. Like, how do I spy the spirit of God at work in my life? And so I just challenge you. Start each day, say, Lord, what are you trying to do? Write out everything that you have that day, and then just say like, Lord, what do you have for me in these moments? And I think you'd be surprised at how you see the Lord show up. And so I would say, orient each day and every moment towards God. Move from mountaintop to a mundane pursuit of the Lord. And the last thing that I would say is this, is that we need a direction over perfection mindset. I think oftentimes when we talk about seeking the Lord, it's like, I just gotta be perfect. Like, I, my, my pursuit needs to be perfect. The quality of my time needs, you know, like it's just like the perfectionist in us comes out. And uh, I just don't think being whole, a wholehearted seeker of God means perfection. I think a lot of the men and women in scripture that were incredible and wholehearted towards God, it's that they gave their whole life to a direction, and they weren't concerned necessarily ultimately about their perfection, if that makes sense. And so I think what God is calling us tonight, and if you're going like, okay, I just gotta be better, I'm like, no, that's the gospel of sin management. We embrace the gospel of the kingdom. God is reconciling the nations to himself. He loves me, I'm a child in his family. I have brothers and sisters, this is amazing. I have the spirit of God inside of me, and like I'm growing and maturing. I'm being transformed, which means I'm not gonna be perfect until Christ comes and we're glorified and we glorify him. But I am giving an imperfect yet wholehearted commitment to God and his kingdom in the same direction over the whole of our lives. Eugene Peterson says it's a long obedience in the same direction over the whole of our lives. And so let's pray and let's ask Christ to fill us and help us to live this out. Lord Jesus, we love you uh, and we're thankful that you have invited us into something truly beautiful. And Lord, we want to be wholehearted. Um, we want to seek you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus, you said that we are to seek 
God to seek you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so, Lord, I pray that we embrace who you've already made us to be. God, I pray that we would not become used to the gift that you are. And Lord, I pray that you'd fill us with your spirit. And Lord, in the most mundane moments of life, when we're half awake, when we're tired, when we're lethargic, Lord, I pray that you would meet us in those moments. And Lord, that we wouldn't need, um, yeah, like this shot that we take every six months to keep us going. But Lord, we can thrive and feast on you day in, day out. And Lord, we can give our whole lives to your whole kingdom. And so, Lord, I'm praying that you would do that in me. I'm praying that you would do that in this community. And um, yeah, Lord, we love you. And we pray this all in your name. Amen.